Brian Hillegas from Chicago, Illinois, The Seeker. Uh, this is a poem that I wrote uh, last week here in June. It's called um, Boxing. In the box, tidy, controlled, and safe. In the box, everything has its place, but I can't find anything. In the box, I am resourceful. In the box, I see myself. In the box, love has its place, and it's always there. I see it in its box. In the box, I am grounded. In the box, God is with me, and in the box is home. Out of the box, loose, free, and wild. Out of the box, nothing has its place, so I always know where everything is. Out of the box, I create. Out of the box, I am myself. Out of the box, love can be anywhere, so it is everywhere. Out of the box, I fly, and out of the box, God is in me. Out of the box is not home, it is where I live. Hi, my name is Al from Clear Milky Way, and you're listening to Beyond the Box. Hi, I'm Rayburn Johnson. And I'm Steve Sensenick. And this is Beyond the Box. Here's your invitation to explore life outside the box of institutional religion. This is a place where there are no walls to restrict our search for truth as we embrace the ambiguity of defining our life in Christ. So unbuckle your seatbelt, recline your chair, throw caution to the wind, and get ready for the ride that is Beyond the the Box. Welcome back to Beyond the Box, everyone. It's great to be back with you today. Today, we're going to continue our series, Loose at the Wild Goose. This is part two from the Wild Goose Festival. Now, this Loose at the at the Wild Goose series is all about podcasts, discussions, and interviews that I did while I was at the Wild Goose Festival back in June in Shikori Hills, North Carolina. Now, the Wild Goose Festival is just this amazing time uh, where you get to interact with all of these different authors, artists, musicians, theologians, and and cool people um, that are re-understanding what it means to walk with Jesus. Just a spectacular time. I had three of the best days that I've had in a very, very long time while I was at the Wild Goose. And I think the best part about the Wild Goose was these spontaneous conversations that would just crop up all over the place. I just had an amazing time. Um, I just went away. I told my wife when I left, I think my brain and my heart were absolutely full when I left. And so I really hope that these conversations that you're going to hear in this series really reflect what it was like to be at the Wild Goose. I hope this kind of drops you in as a fly on the wall um, in the middle of the Wild Goose Festival. And hopefully many of you will be able to come next year in Shakori Hills, North Carolina. Anyway, today we're joined by Derek Flood, who's an author, a theologian, and an artist. Um, And he is just a really cool guy. I just really enjoyed getting to know Derek while I was at the Wild Goose Festival and his wife and his children. Just a really great guy. Um, Derek, he writes for the Huffington Post. Uh, He writes for Sojourners Magazine. He blogs at therebelgod.com. And he has a book coming out really soon entitled Healing the Gospel. I've got to read some excerpts from it. I haven't read the whole thing yet, but I'm really looking forward to this book. And I think many of you are probably going to enjoy it as well. Um, in this conversation, we talk about a lot of things. We hit on a lot of different topics, but one thing in particular that I want you to really hone in on is how Derek explains Paul's use of the Old Testament. Many of you know that here on the podcast, we've really been talking about uh, a lot over the last few years about inspiration. What does that term even mean? What, what is scripture? What does it mean for scripture to have authority? All of these kinds of questions. And in doing that, we've really deconstructed a lot of the ideas that um, we inherited from conservative evangelicalism, and in particular, Steve and I. Um, and one of these one of these things has been how Jesus used the Old Testament. Um, many of you know that as we've talked about the Sermon on the Mount a lot, we talk about how Jesus completely upends the the regular understanding of the Old Testament through the Sermon on the Mount by saying things like, "You've heard it said." Love your neighbor and hate your enemy, 
but I say to you, love your enemy. And and how he did this time and time again and just completely um, broke the Sabbath and did all these things and just completely upended uh, things that were right there smack dab in the, in the Old Testament written as a thus saith the Lord. Now, Derek, I think a unique contribution that he's bringing to the table is that he does the same thing with the Apostle Paul's use of the Old Testament. Um, just some really great insights here. I think you guys are really going to enjoy this conversation. Before we get started, though, <laughs> I just want to apologize ahead of time. This is a live podcast, and it's at the Wild Goose Festival, the operative word being wild. I mean, there is a ton of energy during the Wild Goose Festival, and you're getting dropped right down in the middle of it. So as we do this conversation, you're going to hear a live band in the background. You're going to hear kids playing all around us, throwing balls over our heads and, and all of these kinds of things, giggling and having a good time. And you're going to hear this one bird that just uh, just determined that it wanted to be heard in this podcast. <laughs> so if you can tune those things out and really hone in on, on uh, the conversation between Derek and I, I think you're really going to enjoy it. So let's go ahead and jump right into the conversation with Derek Flood. Well, I am pleased to be joined today by Derek Flood, who I'm at the Wild Goose with. And Derek's getting ready to release a new book called Healing the Gospel, right? Healing yes. the Gospel through yes. Cascade Books, available hopefully in the next couple, three months maybe. Um, but anyway, Derek's just given a talk at the, I guess it's the gazebo now. Yes. <laughs> They've changed the venue on um, penal substitution and re-understanding the atonement and what does it mean that Jesus died for our sins? What does, what, what's the whole cross event about? And I know we've talked a lot about this on the podcast, Derek, but um, you've got some interesting perspectives, especially on not only re-understanding the atonement, but even re-understanding Paul, re-understanding um, Paul's use of the Old Testament. Can you delve into a little bit of this for us? That's, that's a mouthful. <laughs> some introduction, huh? I've asked probably four questions in one. So. <laughs> I mean, I think it's really the bottom line is about recognizing restorative justice in the New Testament as like the core message of the New Testament. And restorative justice is not about saying it doesn't matter, it's okay, I forgive you. It's not, that's, that's where it's often misunderstood. That it's not, and, and this is where like love of enemies comes in. It's not about just being a voluntary victim to things, but it's really about making things right again. And that, that justice is fundamentally about making things right. And that the picture that we have of Jesus is God becomes incarnate comes among us to make things right and that is how God's justice comes about that is the new justice in Jesus that's revealing the true heart of God yeah. as one who makes things right again and that causes us to rethink all sorts of stuff that we have from you know the, the, the Old Testament and whatnot you know I think that 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 Paul for example had to he, he's, he's so Paul's a Pharisee and he's believing in purity and thinking that he's being faithful to God when he persecutes the church, when he violently hurts and kills infidels, he's doing a service to God. And that is a narrative that you have, um, you know, the, the zeal of Phineas in the, in the Old Testament where he, like, you know, sees, like, a foreigner and, like, kills him, you know, and that's, like, this, or the picture of, like, um, Elijah calling down fire on, you know, the, the bad guys, and then that's because that's he's now a man of God. And Paul was in that group and then encounters Christ and realized that he's done the wrong thing. Mm. That he's that he's thought he was doing something for God and now but he realized he's actually opposed to what God was really doing and just does this total, you know, one eighty flip. But that but that's where that's where it comes in. And then, and then Paul is rereading his Bible and he says that um, what's the quote that that the law of Moses still has a veil over it and the veil is not removed unless it is through Christ. Mm. That the mm. only way to understand the Old Testament is through Christ. Mm. Looking at it and saying what what reflects Christ and what doesn't reflect Christ. You know, and so you have like the story of um, Jesus with um, his disciples that we talked about earlier with, um, you know, saying, hey, should we call down fire from heaven like Elijah did? Wouldn't that be awesome? And then Jesus saying, you don't realize what spirit you're of. Mm. Meaning, 
ear of the demons when you when you say that. Mm. And that's just totally, totally wrong. And, and but they have biblical precedent for that. And Paul had biblical precedent for what he was doing. You know, you ha- and and so and it's and it's not theoretical just with like them back then because the church not too long after that, you know, I don't know the exact dates, maybe 500 and forward, um, started using those things as justification for. Um, removing people from their homes, persecuting mm. them, killing them, torturing them, all the way up to like us with the, you know, um, um, with, with, um, with Native Americans, mm. you know, mm. and how we use the same the manifest destiny type yeah, thing to, to kill them, yeah. you know, in the name of God, thinking we're doing something for God. So it's really possible to misread the Bible. And basically, I would say that the only way to read the Bible right is to read it in that spirit of Jesus. Not, not to say that it's to only Christians can read the Bible right. Right, right. Because actually a lot of Christians read the Bible wrong. Um, <laughs> Sometimes we need other traditions to correct us. Yeah, yeah. but more that, that same Jesus-like way of enemy love and, and restorative justice, identifying that. Just like you can look at your world, you can see all this crap happening and all this injustice, and you can still find something good in the world, but you got to like wade through and sift through stuff to find it. I think that the Bible is like that too, that you have to know what you're looking for. You have mm. to, there's a, there's an Anabaptist saying, which is that you have to have a, um, a hermeneutic of obedience, meaning that you can't interpret it right if you're not living it. If you're not living out the way of Jesus, then you won't know how to read it right. Mm. Mm. Really good. Um, so, you know, you brought up a perfect example with Elijah and um, talking about, you know, calling down fire from heaven and they're going basically, hey, we're being biblical here, Jesus. We're going to call down fire from heaven on our enemies. Jesus rebukes them, says you don't know what spirit of you're of, which, makes, which would make us think, okay, what spirit is Elijah of, which doesn't that kind of deconstruct that maybe what Elijah did was not ordained by God. So what does that do? What does that do to us with our understanding of the Old Testament and the inspiration of the Old Testament? Yeah, it's 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 a real challenge to it, and I mean, I think I that's where I would go. I mean, I think you need to you need to, the 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 thing that is that you need to recognize that this is how Jesus is reading the Bible, this is how Paul is reading the Bible, and then say to yourself, if Jesus and Paul read the Bible this way, shouldn't I? Mm. You know, because mm. you can't you can't just like I think we're jumping too fast for most people to like go straight from that to boom, and now I've just rejected all that stuff. Right. Because you don't want to just be kind of like. Um, picking and choosing what I like. Right, right. But that's not what Jesus was doing. That's right. not what Paul was doing. They weren't just picking things that they liked. We're they not were... talking about liberal sensibilities here. Yeah. We're talking about real uh, imitation uh, of Jesus. Right, and like, like for example, um, Psalm 137, okay. right? That's the, that's the psalm that says, blessed is he who t- takes your infants and dashes their heads against the rocks, mm-hmm. right? And if you read that in the context of a person who's in grief and just devastated and says this horrible thing that they probably are going to regret saying mm. and that God's saying, I allow you to be honest with that horrible thoughts and that I don't want any silence, that I'm listening to you say these things. Like Job. Job says all this awful, awful things to God. Mm. And if you read it that way, then I think it's helpful. But if you read it as in literally blessed by God mm. is this action, mm. then it's really problematic. And And so you have to kind of recognize that there's this humanness in in the Bible and frankly especially the Old Testament um, where the New Testament is kind of basically you have these different lines you have in the Old Testament you have these verses that say care for the foreigner be merciful and then you have other places that say destroy the foreigner yeah. and no I will show them no mercy I mean like, I'm quoting when I yeah. said I'm showing yeah. them mercy and so you have this library of books with saying all sorts of different things. And then the New Testament is saying this way with Jesus is the way to interpret it. This is look for those narratives, look for Jesus mm. in that library where you can find certain places where Jesus, like, I don't know, like on the story of Jonah, you know, um, which is a story of, it's, it's sarcasm. Like you have like the prophet who doesn't want to have the review forgiven and is all mad and everything. But it's, that's, it's that story of of um, God's forgiveness, you know, and th- there's other stories though that aren't so great. Yeah, yeah. So, so uh, one unique perspective that you've brought is how Paul edited, because I know we've talked to our listeners a lot about, for instance, the Sermon on the Mount and how Jesus edits the Old Testament. You know, you've heard it said, you sh- you know, you should love your neighbor, hate your enemy, and and then like how David said, you know, Lord, I hate those who hate you, and I love right. those who love you, and so you know, he's. 
uh, th- this was a biblical idea. You know, we love those who are on our side. We hate those who are not on our side. Right. So right. we've deconstructed that a lot in, on our podcast with how Jesus edited the Old Testament. But one unique thing that I think you brought to the table, Derek, is how Paul did the same, how Paul edited the, edited the Old Testament and removed some elements. Can you talk about that some? Yeah, so this, this is based on an article I did in the January um, edition of Sojourners, and, which is, you can Google it and it's online. But um, basically what I found is that almost every single time that Paul quotes the Old Testament, he edits it. And what he does specifically is he will remove the sections about violence and retain, it basically changes the entire context of it. So, so basically you have this, like in seminary you learn that you need to read with what's called the Sitzenleben, which is German for the um, situatedness in life, meaning that you need to figure out what did this original author mean, and that's how we should interpret it by their intent. And Paul is not doing that. In fact, he's doing the opposite intent of the whole It thing. seems willy-nilly sometimes the way Paul does it, but it's not, is it? I think it's not. I think it's, there's one, one um, New Testament professor made a joke that if Paul took a, like an exegesis class, he would have flunked it. <laughs> he would have failed, you know? yeah. But, but I think that it's intentional. It's a way of reading the Bible that is actually known as apostolic exegesis, mm. meaning that this is the way that the New Testament authors read the Old Testament. And what people miss about it, I'll give you an example in just a second. Sure. Um, but what people miss about it is they always talk, they think it's about like finding Christ in here, like as in like, oh, this apple tree reminds me of Christ because like the apple, that's not it. Right. What it's about is it's recognizing injustice and violence and rejecting it because it's not the way of Jesus. It's, like it's an ethical reading. It's not just this allegorical, make everything, squeeze everything to fit into it. Mm. Let, me, let me give you an example. This is from... Um, um, Romans 15, okay. where Paul is talking about the good news to the Gentiles, and he's quoting from Deuteronomy. And so he reads, For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth to confirm the promises made to the patriarchs that the Gentiles may glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, and now he's quoting, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles, I will sing hymns to your name. But what he leaves out is right before it, it says this, I destroyed my foes. They cried for help, but there was no one to save them. To the Lord, but he did not answer. He is the God who avenges me, who puts the Gentiles under me. Mm. Therefore, this is the part he doesn't erase, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing hymns to your name. Boy, that's totally different. And what it means in the original, rather obvious, is I will praise you among the Gentiles because you killed them. Wow. And what he's saying, and he makes it a more of, I will praise you among the Gentiles because I see how your new life is coming to them and how you are saving them. It's the exact opposite message. And then he wow. continues and he says, and again it says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And he cuts out the next, it continues with a comma and says this. This is the part he cuts out. For he will avenge the blood of his servants. He will take vengeance on his enemies and make atonement for his land and his people. That's the way the rest of it goes, goes on. And, and, and if you look at Paul, it's not just one time he does this. He does this all the time, over and over again. Like the another a favorite one of mine is in, um, I think it's 1 Corinthians, where he says, um, where, where, oh, death is your sting, you know, where is your victory, grave, or Hades. Right. And if you look at, and we read that as Christ has conquered death, you know, and, and, and death is, and we're kind of mocking death and saying, like, what, where's, where's your, where's your victory now, buddy? You yeah, know? yeah. Now what are you doing? Except for in the original context, if you read Hosea, and read like just I just read a verse above and below it, and you'll see that the context there is saying, "What's keeping you, death? Come kill everybody. Mm. Come bring vengeance." And you know, and he's again, he's completely reversed that. I mean, it's not it's not even that he's just changing it. He's actually doing the exact opposite, using it for the opposite purpose, isn't he? Yeah, he's not. It's not just sort of like the a lot of times you know people will sort of say like this reminds me of this, and it sort of like it won't quite fit, but it'll be okay. Right. This is like Paul's not dumb. Paul's like a trained. You know, he, he went to, like, you know, the Bible school of his time. You know, yeah. he's, he's, he's a trained rabbi. You know, he knows the scriptures like the back of his hand, and he knows what he's doing, and he's intentionally mm. basically disarming them. Wow. It's, a, it's an intentional disarmament of the Bible by Paul in the name of Jesus. Wow. And totally, yeah, that, that's just mind-boggling to me. Like, the way you just said that, I've never thought about that. With Paul being a trained Pharisee, a trained rabbi, that he's actually taking... He's taking the intended reading, what was originally meant to be said, and he's turning it on his ear, subverting it, and using it to totally, he's, he's taking it out of context and squeezing it through the lens of Jesus, isn't he? Yeah, absolutely. Wow, wow. That is 
That's mind-boggling, Derek. So, have you found this pattern throughout Paul's letters that yes. every time he quotes? I mean, not every time. Hmm. You know, sometimes he quotes things in a regular way, but a lot. But never, he never quotes it in a regular way that would support a vengeful, wrathful, retributive response, right? Right. right. I mean, I think what, what's, what's absolutely consistent is when he edits, he's always cutting out violence. Hmm. I mean, because wow. in a way, it's, it makes sense. He's taking this passage. What, what's, what's funny, though, is, you know what? He didn't have to. I think, it's, I think what's especially intentional is if you want to just find a nice passage, which is saying nice things to Gentiles, you can in the Old Testament. It's almost like he's trying to find the ones that are not saying that to flip them, almost to provoke, you know? Wow. I, because it, it's not that hard to find nice passages. Wow. But he's almost like purposely taking the, the violent ones to, so as to undo them. So you, so you think Paul is possibly that what he's actually doing is intentionally finding hard passages, flipping them on their ear, giving us a, a nonviolent reading, a, a reading that lines up with Jesus in order to maybe to provide us with a, with a hermeneutic, to a, a way to interpret, a, um, a way to exegete those scriptures. You think that's what's... I think you're onto something. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. I don't know if I would have phrased it like that, but wow. I'm, I'm sold. Wow. Um, that, I think something like that. And, and you think of it too, like think about Jesus, right? So he comes into the temple and he says, hey, is it lawful on the Sabbath to heal or, or not? And everyone's like not answering him and everything. And then he, he gets, and it says in, in Luke that he's annoyed and, and frustrated. And he says like to the guy like, all right, stand up. And he holds the guy up and he like, stands in front of and holds him up and heals him in front of everybody. He could have waited one day, right? Yeah. Does he have yeah. to wait one day to? It's not like he has to heal the person this day, but it's like he's deliberately provoking wow. and saying wow. it's stupid that I'm not doing something on the Lord's day to to heal, help this person. It's it, and I'm wow. I'm not going to go along with it. I'm going to provoke you. I'm going to like do this right in your face in front of everybody. Goodness. You know. And so it's it's the same thing with Paul. Paul is they're not timid. They're not like right. you know passive about their pacifism with a C as opposed to an S. You know, Thank you for making that clarification because there's been a lot of confusion on our podcast between passivity and pacifism. So thank you. Right, Paul's very in your face. Yeah. You know, and so is Jesus, frankly, too. Yeah. You know, they're very confrontational about stuff. But yeah. That that's fascinating to me though, this principle that it seems like we're really getting at here that just like Jesus didn't wait that day, that he, he decided to do it right then to completely subvert their religious tradition or even even the way they use scripture itself that would keep people in oppression that maybe Paul was doing the same thing with scripture that he was intentionally instead of like you said instead of grabbing the nice passage instead of turning to Psalm 23 or something that that would be easily interpreted in a nice way that he took those difficult passages like the one you mentioned about you know death where's your sting grave where's your victory turned it on its ear in order so that when we ran into those tough passages that maybe we would go hey Look what Paul did. Right. Why? And, and, I, and you know, I'm, this is totally speculation, and this is probably outside of the realm of uh, either of our knowledge, but just like to know if you have any thoughts on this. Why, why do you think we got this way? Is it, is it the turn of the Constantinian turn that happened? Or how did we, if this was the apostolic reading, the way they did it, right. why is it that, our, that the, the hermeneutic that's been passed down to us is so, so much the opposite? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a little bit that it's convenient for, if you have a state-sponsored religion Mm. that wants everyone to, like, you know, accept this retributive model, Mm. it's convenient for them to say, this is the one way to do this. Mm. You know, this is the one reading for this this way. So, I mean, I think it's, I'm not a historian, so I don't know exactly where it went bad and how it happened, but I think that that's, it's very easy. And also we like things, I think we we gravitate towards that, you know. I mean, it might even just be a little bit kind of, 1930s fundamentalism that led us to it. And think about, think about, for example, slavery and the abolition of slavery. It's hard to prove with the Bible that you should abolish slavery. You can yeah. prove that you should be nice to slaves yeah. with the Bible, but that you should abolish it. And like almost everybody now would say, like Christians would say, slavery is wrong. Yeah. Not just that it's, you know, a different choice. So I don't happen to make that. It's wrong. Right. And we take that as for granted now. But they had to be radical back then and kind of like basically saying. I see a trajectory in Jesus, and I'm going to go follow the trajectory. Not, mm. not literally, he said this, and I'm going to take it, but I'm mm. following the trajectory. And then look, if, or like back then in the New Testament, they have the, the Gentiles being welcomed in, right? There's no precedent for that at all. Yeah. It's, like, it's, it's like 
really you'd have to like pick and choose, you know. And so the question is, how do you know what to pick and choose? Mm. And and I think what what you see the New Testament view is that you have this um, movement of the Spirit that they see that the Spirit is moving and doing things among the Gentiles and working, and they say hey, that's what the Holy Spirit's doing. Who, who cares what tradition has said? Yeah. Who cares what our books say? This is what God's doing. We're going to move with God. And then the, the, and then you find, this is, this is what, how they read. Whether we think this sounds great or not, that's exactly what they do. They, they find places in the Bible that confirm this, mm. but, but they're moving with the Spirit. Mm. And I think that's what, exactly what Jesus says. When, when Jesus says, um, blasphemy the Holy Spirit, I think he means that. I think he means when... We're doing things with God and recognizing what God's doing, and this new thing that God's doing that that we've never heard before. We don't have to go back to as much as I like the idea of the Wesleyan quadrilateral, which is like everything should be based on like scripture, tradition, reason, and experience. Right. You know, and, and a lot of people would be like even remove the experience one altogether. Yeah. Oh, think, Protestants don't really like the experience one very well. I think experience should be on top. Mm, wow, wow. But it's not the experience of, it's not about my feelings experience, like sort yeah. of the liberal Protestant kind of thing. It's about the experience of God mm. in Christ. Mm. That that experience wow. of what God does in us, which totally goes, like, like, you know, Peter, it's like, you know, hey, Peter, rise and eat, you know, and, and that it's about, like, welcoming Gentiles. And it's like, this is all stuff that's so about inclusion, about love, but totally goes against everything they've been taught. Mm. He has, mm. you know, and he just, and he's like, okay, Lord, I'm going to do that. You know, and how does that apply to us today with, with the issues that, that we have? You know, like some people have even said that, like, um, I'm going to go out of limb even more now. Sure. Um, but why not? Um, homosexuality. Like one of the, the best arguments for that is that we've never really seen before, um, I'm not talking about as in, in modern times, we have people who are two people who are in committed relationship, loving each other. Before, that's always been kind of this, you know, secret thing, you know. And and we just when and 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 not only that, but but people who are saying, "Hey, I'm a Christian. I love Jesus, and and I pray, and I read my Bible, and this is who I am." Well, maybe the Spirit's moving and doing a, a something different that we need to pay attention to. Mm. That just like you did with the Gentiles, and we shouldn't be looking back to our book and checking it and seeing if it's right with the book, but we should think about. What's the trajectory, you know, that we see in the Bible and where does it lead us to and does it lead us to? What I'm hearing you say is um, that almost the same way that the apostles treated the Old Testament, in some sense, we have to treat the New Testament that way. So that instead of proof texting from it, that we go by trajectories. Because something you said a minute ago really um, resonated with me, that we look for the trajectory of Jesus. Like with slavery, that was a perfect example. That, you know, if during during, uh, the 1850s, you had all of these books and tracts being written that were pro-slavery from the South that were quoting scripture verbatim to support the institution of slavery. And you really said something that's resonating with me in this idea of a trajectory, that instead of looking for proof texts, because the New Testament, you'd be hard-pressed to find a proof text that says abolish slavery. Right. And yet none of us would believe that in the 21st century, that, that slavery is a, is a healthy institution. Right. But that we look for those trajectories. So we look at the trajectory of Jesus that leads people towards freedom and towards inclusion. So are you saying, are you saying that in the same way the apostles treated the Old Testament— that as believers that are being led by the Spirit in the 21st century, that we almost have to treat the New Testament in the same way? Is that what I'm hearing you? Yes and no. Okay. I think there's a little bit of a difference in that I think that the Old Testament is like this library of narratives. There's multiple competing narratives in the Old Testament um, where they're, they're saying different things. And the New Testament is identifying one of those narratives, which is in line with Jesus, and saying, that's the right one. Mm-hmm. And, and what we're doing with the New Testament is we're saying kind of the way like a musician. Let's, let's say I'm a musician and I respect some, I don't know, uh, Muddy Waters blues music. I don't want to just like learn how to play their songs note for note and copy, I don't know, copy the Rolling Stones and do cover tunes. I want to take that and run with it so that that musician says, I love where you went with that. That's so creative. That's so right. That's so in line with what I was doing. Or like take a teacher like Jesus and say, what would happen and this is where, again, I look to the Anabaptist tradition for this, is they say, what would happen if we actually tried to live out 
Jesus' teachings about love of enemies? What if we worked that out and how would that become complicated where, where we don't have to just kind of go, I know nothing. I have no experience in 2,000 years. I've learned nothing in 2,000 years, so I just have to go back to source one, back to, you know, the book mm. and see if it justifies this behavior and then do exactly that mm. as opposed to saying, what if I just really try to work this out and I see it as a place to begin with, a trajectory thing, yeah. and then and go with it. It seems like it's just a natural, normal way to read anything. Mm. And it's kind of weird that we read the Bible like it's some kind of like, you know, DMV like rule book kind of thing. That, that's the, I guess that's the irony is that, you know, we're sitting here talking about how Paul, um, how he turned the Old Testament on its ear to bring out something that resonated with the person of Jesus. And yet I'm finding myself and this, you know, this is something I'm still very much in process on Derek, but I'm just kind of thinking out loud here. But um, I think it's, it's been a real temptation for evangelicals to take Paul and do the same thing with Paul's words that we once did with the Old Testament. So, whereas Paul reinterpreted the Old Testament, that instead of us doing the same thing with Paul and and squeezing it through the lens of Jesus, that we are still we're still stuck in that old paradigm that actually Paul was coming against. So Paul's trajectory is to squeeze everything through the lens of Jesus. Right. And yet in our reading of Paul, we can actually read him in a way that that would oppress people. Right. Like the whole Titus 2 thing, I guess, you know, with, with women and, and um, the whole patriarchal and hierarchical structures both in the family and in the church. Right. That we can actually read that to in a, in a way. I, I, I'm having a hard time getting this out. I know where I'm going. But we can, we can read this in a way that, um, that might be true to the letter of Paul but totally misses the trajectory and the spirit of Paul. Which is exactly what Paul says we shouldn't do, right? Mm. We're supposed to read with the spirit, not the letter. Wow. the letter kills. Even the New Testament, not just the Old Testament. Well, anybody, wow. if you take what I say super, super literally, I probably wouldn't appreciate it. Wow. You know, I want you to like, like I don't know, Jesus says, um, if your right hand causes you to sin, then cut wow. it off. Yeah. Please don't literally do that. Right, you know? right. And please don't gouge out your eyeballs because you lust, you know? Right. That's, it's, it's, Jesus is like, that's not what I meant. Yeah. It wasn't literal. You know, I mean, that's what one thing that's been really um, eye-opening for me with Jesus is, honestly, I sometimes have an easier time getting Paul right than I do Jesus because Jesus is a provocator. Mm. Jesus is almost like an artist who's, like, messing with you and, and, and flipping things around and throwing you for a loop and saying things that, like, you know, are, like, you know, controversial mm. just to provoke a reaction. And so if you take him literally then it can become, like, really hurtful. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Even if you're well-meaning, like, I don't know, like, um, people who think that they're supposed to intentionally suffer, and, you know, so they whip their backs, yeah. you know, or whatever, all the different things that people did. Maybe not that extreme now, but people who just think, I can't ever have a good things happen to me because I have to suffer for Christ, and, yeah. and miss that maybe that's supposed to mean you're supposed to care about people, even if it hurts to care about them, and not that hurting is good. Wow. You know, so wow. I think every everybody in the whole world, including Jesus, if you read them literally, you'll probably miss it. Mm. Uh, going in a little different direction, um, kind of getting back to your book, which is once again about re-understanding atonement, healing the gospel yeah. from our retributive views of God and of atonement and all of these kinds of things. You said something in your talk today um, when we were when we had kind of a roundtable discussion afterwards. You were talking about how um, that the the incarnation and the resurrection were acts of God, but that the cross or the crucifixion, the crucifixion. was an act of men. Can you can you Kind of hit on that a little bit. I mean, this is basically the the historical context of that is that you have the Roman crucifixion, right? And and what happens is that people at the time, the disciples did not say, "Oh, yay, justice has been fulfilled." They ran and hid and were terrified and thought this hor- and they were weeping, right? Because they knew this in the context of the Roman Empire. This is how they crush people, hmm. and it was. A, a, very often used to crush rebellions you know so Jesus was a rebel and so they crushed him as a rebel and it's and in it, and, 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 and like you know Peter in Acts describes it that way he says like you crucified the Lord of glory you know with the help of wicked men but God raised him from the dead mm, mm. you know two different agencies two different agencies and Peter says God in his foreknowledge you know had this come about and so that's where you get into the whole incarnation thing, that God enters into our pain, into our suffering, into our hurtfulness, our sinfulness, and 
overcomes that, mm. you know. Mm. And, and and that's where the, the cross is, is used, as I was saying before, the cross is used by Paul, becomes a positive symbol. He kind of like reclaims that, mm. you know. And, and, and now instead of being the symbol of Rome and power and oppression, it's a symbol of, as Jesus says, taking your cross upon you. Like, but that means um, self-sacrificing love. And, and I would actually not, I don't even like the term self-sacrificing or other-directed. I prefer just relational mm. because it's mm. about, in other words, it's not about me or even about just you. It's about us wow. and, and thinking in as, as a relational connection community. to things and as a community. And so that, you know, if something happens to my son, it happens to me, yeah. you know, and so that's why I care. And it's not that I turn myself off and don't care at all about my needs. Mm. You know, I do mm. because that would be unhealthy not to do that. But it's about thinking about all of us, including me. Wow. And, but, but, but that, that kind of, um, but like, for example, keeping on the line of parenting, if I'm stronger than my little kids, then I can, you know, stay up at three in the morning when they're sick. You know, I, I give more than they give back to me because mm. I'm a parent, because I'm in a stronger position. But where that becomes really dangerous is if you make it a requirement where you all must give up this thing. So I'm, I'm a, say, person who has been like traditionally like oppressed and I have to kind of just take it. Yeah. And that's, that almost becomes like this, um, thing where you think the empire sure would like that. Yeah. Just stay in your place, mm. obey your masters, yeah. don't cause trouble. That's a good guy. You know, and well, once again, this is, this is what, um, I know a lot of confusion has happened on our podcast over the whole idea of pacifism and what many people have heard us say, or at least the way they've interpreted it is that, you know, if something bad happens or whatever, you know, what if someone breaks in your house? You know, all the, all the traditional sure. questions that you're just supposed to just stand there and do nothing. Right. And um, I think what you're saying is right on. It's not, it's a matter of, you know, it, it's a matter of not, not being passive, but also choosing to creatively engage situations nonviolently like Jesus would. It doesn't mean right. you don't do anything, right. but it means that your aggressiveness doesn't take the form of, Let's I'd, say lethal violence for one thing. Yeah, it doesn't take yeah, that form. Yeah. Like, can you do anything else? Like like one example is like the classic example of war, right? Yeah. So you have two people on, on each side. You have the pacifists who are sick of war. They're sick of the devastation of the war. They're sick of seeing people killed and their lives destroyed and ripped apart. And then you have the just war people who don't want to see people be um, tortured and depressed and want to stand up for people who are in trouble. And yeah. Both kind of want the same thing. Yeah. And yet they're like arguing back and forth in this like standstill. And I think that the answer there is violence reduction criteria. What can we do, do to make less violence? What can we do to make things better? And then finding concretely what that is, which is what restorative justice is all about. Mm. So it's not about not doing something or doing like, is it about justifying war or denying the justice of war? It's more about like, Really, that's all we can do. Active is engagement. Active engagement yeah. is, the only, is the only thing we could possibly do is, like, like for example, I mean, not that I'm pro-tasering, but it's better than shooting somebody. Yeah, yeah. You know, at least they don't die. Yeah. You know, and and then again, but then even further than that, like, maybe you shouldn't just pepper spray students just because they didn't move right away. Maybe there's, is there anything else you could possibly do? Yeah, probably. Yeah. And like, really recognizing that violence sucks. Yeah. And how can we do things that will solve the problem without violence there, so, and there must be solutions so I get what you're saying it's uh, um, in your mind what you're saying is that the ideal is complete nonviolence. but if we you know if we have to go on a scale here if we've got to choose if we've got to compromise then at least it's better to go non-lethal Even if you're going to do violence if you're going to do something to intervene in a violent way that at least you could go the non-lethal route and also just even just thinking about like you know with, with kids right what's I mean no one's going to do lethal with kids, but you might like spank them. But wouldn't it be better to just talk with them? And do you really have to yell with them? You know, it's just it's because it, it, it's not every they always everyone always wants to go to like the what if Hitler you know right right etc. The hypothetical you know, what if Hitler broke yeah. into your house at midnight you know, kind of <laughs> and you and you happen to have a gun in your hand right there and you were an expert marksman but not so good as so you have to like kill you him couldn't shoot the gun out of their hand no but... you could you're not that good <laughs> you know like that kind of thing it's like well if you put me completely painted in that corner then I guess what would happen is what you think would happen yeah, yeah. you know but but there's all these other it's it's really kind of this the general idea is how can we make things better, right? Mm. Not not so much the what's permissible, like is it okay to like you know tackle you, but I can't kill you or right. I tackle you, and, and I suppose yeah, but mm. but it's really more of a question of 
how can I fix the situation? And even look going back and saying, like, maybe if we cared about, like, you know, poverty, then these people wouldn't be in the situation in the first place. Or, mm. like, there's this really wonderful story that um, I've heard about um, how they're, they're really quick to suspend people in school. You, know, you do this one thing wrong and you're out of school, right? And it's not violent in the sense of nobody's being physically hurt by that. But what happens statistically is you're kicked out of school and that's like a one-way ticket to prison. Mm. You go right into prison because wow. you're out of the whole situation and you're, you know, because it, it, it also it's where these kids are, you know, and who they are. They don't have parents who come in and protest it. They have, you know, missing father and overworked mother and everything and then right, they're just right. out. And they're out and they join a gang and then bad news. And, and so there's a situation that they told about the restorative justice situation where there was a, a kid and he's sleeping on his desk and the teacher comes over and says like, hey, wake up. And he gets up and he cusses her out and everything. And then she wants to have him kicked out. And, but they, they, they sit the two together. And you hear from the student, he says that his mom hasn't been in the house in days. Mm. He's hardly eaten anything. He hasn't slept at all. Mm. And he was just exhausted. Mm. And he acted immaturely, a big surprise that a 14 year old is immature. And the teacher tells her story, and she says that she was assaulted last year by a student, and so she's like hair trigger on that. And as they talk, they recognize that they, they, they're, they're humanized, both of them. It's not the bad authority teacher, and it's not the bad delinquent kid. It's two human beings who are struggling, and they talk with them, they get resources for the kid, you know, they, they, the kid apologizes to the teacher, and it's beautiful, and, mm. and, it's, and nobody's suspended at all, and it's solved. Wow. You know, and wow. It's, it's that kind of thing. Wow. It's being, I think a lot of it has to do with creativity. Yes, that, absolutely. And what we do, I think sometimes, Derek, at least in my experience, is when we get into our heads too much and we get too hypothetical, then what we're doing is we're creating an either-or proposition, and we leave no room for the spirit to work. Yes. It's almost like we've already predetermined what we would do in a given situation, and therefore, the Holy Spirit has no room to speak a new word to us. Right. Kind of like um, Jesus with the woman caught in adultery. You know, he sits down and he writes with his finger and they're going, you got to either stone her or you got to transgress the law. And Jesus has a third way, but it's almost like he has to wait for it until this fresh word from heaven is breathed to him that causes him neither to transgress the law or to stone her. So it's like he gets a win-win instead of a right. either or. I like, that, I like, I like that, uh, that picture that he's like, maybe like, making notes and doodling and kind of yeah. like, well, I'm not sure what I'm going to do. Let me, let me think about this. Drawing smiley faces or playing tic-tac-toe <laughs> or something. You know? um, I want to hit on another thing that you said earlier that really uh, resonated with me. You were talking before about how Paul talked about how he was the chief of sinners. And you said something really interesting about that. I've always taken that to mean, I've always taken that as hyperbole that Paul was just basically trying to, you know, humiliate himself on our behalf or or try and say there's no one that could you know be worse to make us feel better right i never thought of it in the way you said it can you explain that to our listeners kind of how you see that well it's this context of what he means by sinner right he says elsewhere that i do not even deserve to be called an apostle because i persecuted the church and in the passage that you're quoting he says um i was a blasphemer and a violent man and i am the chief of all sinners and his sin was religiously justified violence. Hmm. That's what he did. And he says in Philippians that I am, and, and this, this is the, the um, I think it's Philippians anyway, um, this is the context that he says that he is, as far as the law, faultless, but he considers that all to be rubbish, hmm. garbage. Hmm. You know, why does he say that? Why is he so extreme about that? And, and, he, and he says basically because I ended up blaspheming what God was doing, and I ended up using God to justify violence, mm. and that was his big sin. And and I have to say too that that's a sin that really matters. Mm. You know mm. that that whether or not like you know you steal a cookie or tell a lie or these kind of things where you'd think that God would be like, J- just get over it. Who cares? I, I can get over that. I can forgive you for that, right? But if if someone's killing people mm. Mm. in God's name, that at least needs to stop. Mm. You know, even forgiveness for that too. But there's a difference between saying, yeah, whatever, it's okay. Right. Versus saying, no, it's not okay. Yeah. You know, stop it. That's yeah. really, really wrong. And mm. I think that Paul, when he talks about sin, isn't talking about some Mickey Mouse thing that God should just like, you know, get a life. Mm. He's talking about really serious hurt and that he was a part of. And that's why he's so adamantly against. That's, I, th- I think that's why he learned to read the Bible that way. Because he read the Bible before. Mm. As So that's the whole thing of 
the whole thing of that, that wow. I didn't get it first. I, so I, I, I come to Jesus and I read the Bible and I just see Jesus in every page. I'm like, oh, it's beautiful. I love this book. And then I'm thinking, it's just a plain reading. Just read it and you'll get it. And I, and I you know, give the Bible to like my atheist friend and he comes back with like, the most horrible interpretations ever. And I'm like, wow, wow no, that's not what the Bible says. Wow. So, so you, it's possible to read the Bible awfully. Mm. You know, it's what you bring to it. And if you can learn how to read the Bible by having Jesus who loves you show you himself in there, mm. then it could be a wonderful book. Mm. But if you read it like Paul did, where he says, like, yep, that's what it says. It says, go kill them, so I'm going to go kill them. And then Paul comes back and says, like, the letter kills, mm. but the spirit gives life. And that, that you have to, like, remove the veil through Christ. I think that's the context of why he's saying that he was, that's his sin. Mm. That's Even though he was, as far as the law, faultless, because he justified it with the law, he was still the greatest of all sinners. Wow. See, I've never, I've never caught that before, that the greatest sin could be religiously inspired violence. And, and you said something, you know, um, before that he was, he persecuted the church of God. And before that, he says, I was a blasphemer. Yeah. And something that hit me when, when you were saying that was that, um, the, the, the thing about blasphemy, it's kind of like we talk about taking the name of the Lord in vain. And we think that means when somebody says, Oh my God, like right, you right. just took the name of the Lord in vain. Right. When it's really, it seems to me what that's doing is I'm using God's name to endorse something that he would never endorse on his own. Right. So that by, by Paul slander. saying, yeah, it's slander. So by Paul saying, I'm a blasphemer, and then he goes on, it's almost like he's saying why he's a blasphemer, because he persecuted the church of right. God. It's not like he stubs his toe right. and lets out a bomb. Right, you know, exactly. It's, it's, it's that he is exactly like you said. He's, he's blaspheming because he's mis... He says in Romans, and I think he's kind of talking to himself here, he says... God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Mm. And, and he says in the context of people who are totally hypocritical and, you know, and, and have the law but aren't living it at all and are just like hurting other people and everything. And that was him, mm. you know? Mm. Wow. Great stuff, Derek. Absolutely great. I could sit here and do this all day. <laughs> Good stuff. So the book is... The book is Healing the Gospel. Um, it's coming out um, from Cascade. Cascade Books. And you can... Um, hear about it on my website um, therebelgod.com therebelgod.com I guess it's probably available on Amazon for pre-order maybe um, not yet we not just yet fin- we just finished indexing it so oh gotcha it's, gotcha. it's like being, it's in utero it's, it's coming out though soon well definitely look for it guys it's going to be a fantastic book Derek thanks so much for joining us today thank you wow thanks so much Derek great stuff I, I really hope you guys enjoyed this conversation Derek is just such a great guy. I really enjoyed hanging out with him at the Wild Goose Festival. Um, got to talk to him quite a bit and hang out at the Preaching Peace Hellbound Beyond the Box tent. Um, just really had a great time with him, and I really look forward to talking with you more in the future, Derek. I think you uh, have a lot of good things to add to the conversation that we're having in this emerging um, time and this emerging conversation, and I just really appreciate your heart, brother. So keep up the good work, and we look forward to the book. Guys, make sure you check out The Rebel God. It's therebelgod.com. That's Derek's blog. He also is a um, columnist for the Huffington Post, uh, for Sojourners Magazine. Some of you guys might have seen some of his work there. He's got some great articles that he's written. And like I say, make sure to look for his book that will be coming out soon entitled Healing the Gospel. That's coming out from Cascade Books, which is a division of Whipfenstock. So if you guys uh, are familiar with those publishers, check out their websites and uh, keep the pressure on them to get that book to us. Um, We'd love to hear your comments on the podcast, your comments, your questions, your interactions, your disagreements, whatever you have to add. We'd love to hear it. We just really appreciate you guys. You guys are just an awesome community out there. Um, And I really consider you my spiritual community in many ways. So thank you guys for the in-depth conversations we get to have Um, on the podcast, on Facebook. Just really, really appreciate you guys. Um, If you'd like to to comment on this post, you can go to beyondtheboxpodcast.com. You can leave a comment on the post there. Um, While you're there, you can also go to our idea submission page and submit an idea for a future conversation between me and Steve or um, an author interview or or person that you think would be a great addition to the podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Um, So you can put that there. You can also, while you're at our website, you can hit our Call Me widget on the right-hand side of the screen. If you'd like to leave an audio comment, you can just click that. And when you click that widget, it's actually going to ask you for your name and phone number. You hit Connect, and our answering service will actually call you back. 
Um, so if you'd like to leave an audio comment, we'd love to have you do that. If you don't want to go to the website, maybe you're just um, at work right now and you want to take a break, uh, you can call 626-24-NO-BOX. That's 626 246 Six two six nine, and you can leave your comment there. Um, we'd also love you to introduce our podcast for us. Just simply say, "Hi, my name is fill in the blank," and you're listening to Beyond the Box. Or, "Hi, my name is." Tell us where you're from, and you're listening to the Beyond Beyond the Box. I can't even say it. Um, so, I'd love to hear hear you guys and get you involved in the podcast as well. Make sure to check out our Facebook page. That seems to be where the where the conversation really happens at. If you go to facebook.com slash beyond the box, you'll see a lot of great threads on there. All of our episodes get posted on the on the Facebook page. You can actually play the episode directly from Facebook. So you can comment on them there if you'd like to and interact and, and uh, dialogue about them there. Or if you just have something that's on your heart that you want to start a post about or a thread about, feel free to do that. We have a lot of great people that interact with those. Um, it's just really become a great spiritual community where you can pretty much put anything out there without fear of rejection, without fear that you're asking a dumb question or making a dumb comment or someone's going to judge you. It's really a safe place, I think, where people can do that and um, just really, really um, hope you feel free to do that and hope you feel free not only to start a thread, but to you know put your two cents worth on any thread that you see on there that you want to post on. Um, you can sign up for our Twitter feed, twitter.com slash BTB podcast. You'll be notified of exactly when our podcasts become live. Usually they hit Facebook within about 30 or 40 minutes of when we post them on the website. Um, however you want to connect, we just love to hear from you. We just really appreciate you guys and, and always enjoy hearing from you. Also, if you want to email Steve or I, um, you can email, just hit the little email thing on, uh, on our website or our web address is simply ray at beyondtheboxpodcast.com or steve at beyondtheboxpodcast.com. So if you want to um, connect with us that way, please feel free to do so. We would absolutely love to hear from you. If you don't want to make your comment public and you just simply want to put it out there without feeling like you're going to you know, be judged or, or however you want to say it, um, please feel free to make a comment there on an email form and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. Sometimes I know I can't speak for Steve, but I'm a little slow sometimes in responding to email. You'll have to forgive me. A lot of times what happens is I'll read email while I'm on a break at work or, um, when I'm at home watching my boys or something like that. And I'll just simply forget to get back with the person or get distracted. That's not hard for me. So de definitely have patience with me. If you email me, I'll try my best to get back to you. Um, Anyway, we'd just love to hear from you however you can connect with us. But most of all, we just want to thank you for listening. Thank you for taking the time out of your day to stick us in your ears or in your car or at work on your computer, wherever you listen to us. Um, just really appreciate you guys joining us in this conversation and taking this journey with us. And Derek, once again, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me at the at the Wild Goose Festival. Um, look forward to many more conversations in the future, brother. Really enjoyed my interaction and my time with you. So you keep up the good work. Uh, guys, have a great week. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll talk to you soon.